listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett and Sam, and also Patrick with you, on a Monday afternoon. Sam, how you doing in there? Pretty good over here. How's it over there? Yeah, going good here. Able to get to the station with the little snow and ice that we had last night. Man, I'll tell you what, I did not sleep well last night because uh, I... I live in a condominium kind of complex area where there's a, it's kind of a condo slash townhome area. So through our HOA, we of course contract to have snow plows come in and clear the snow, clear the roads, clear the driveways. Man, they were rolling in at like 4 a.m. and I don't think they've ever been that noisy before. It sounded like I was living next to a freight train. So yeah, that was real fun waking up at 4 a.m. Then of course, when you wake up at 4 a.m., Good luck trying to get back to sleep. So I at least was able to get a couple of hours of sleep after the snowplow trucks finally cleared out. But, yeah, that's always fun when you wake up when those are happening and they seem like they're louder than normal. Open phone lines the entire hour at 952-946-6205. So we'll be taking your phone calls here on this live show. And to start things off today, I actually have some good news. Normally on the show, I sometimes have had some downers of shows where we're talking about stuff in the news that's not so good. But this actually is a rare piece of good news. And hopefully we're going to have much more on this tomorrow when we speak from, when we speak with Aaron Clems, who is a friend of the show who's very active on environmental issues. But what happened was is that basically PolyMet took a pretty big step backwards in terms of trying to get their mine built due to a court of appeals ruling that was just issued earlier today. So what exactly happened? Well, the Minnesota Court of Appeals today reversed two permits issued by the Minnesota DNR for the PolyMet Copper Nickel Mine project that's supposed to be happening in northern Minnesota. And in a, this is from Bring Me the News, by the way. In a setback for the Canada-based PolyMet Mining, which, by the way, is not true. It's actually a Glencore-based company, which is an international company owned by some pretty shitty characters, which we'll get into in just a few minutes. The court ruled that the mine and the dam safety permits issued by the NIR back in 2018 actually do require additional review. So what's at issue is that the court found that the DNR made an error by not holding what's called contested case hearings on the permits to discuss potential environmental concerns with objections having been raised by the Fondulak Band of the Lake Superior Ojibwe, or Chippewa rather, and several environmental groups including the Friends of the Boundary Waters. Court also found that the DNR should not have issued a permit without having a defined time limit for the operations to begin, which is kind of funny to read that back again. So they basically, when they originally issued these permits, they had no defined time limit on when the operations would begin, which strikes me as being very problematic because what is that permit going to be good for 10 years, for 20 years, for 30 years, and so on and so on? Yeah, you probably actually do need a defined time period. But what is important, though, is that the court did not reject the permits outright. So PolyMet still could actually get these mines built, but basically, as Bring Me the News report, sending them back to the DNR could possibly mean further delays in the long-planned PolyMet project, with the DNR now requiring to hold what's called a contested case hearing. And hopefully we'll learn more about that tomorrow when we speak with Aaron Clems. But, again, this could really complicate PolyMet in terms of trying to get their funding for the project, which is estimated now to be $1 billion. There could be more delays on the horizon as well last year, and this is something we talked about, I think, last fall with Aaron on the program, because PolyMet also kind of had some interesting issues when it came to trying to get their water permits through the EPA and also the Minnesota Protection Control Agency, Pollution Control Agency, rather. It comes after leaked emails between the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency and the Environmental Pol- Protection Control, or the EPA, showed that the MPCA, got to get all these acronyms straightened out. So basically it showed that the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency asked the EPA not to submit its concerns about the project during the public comment period. And basically what was happening is that several people at the EPA, kind of paraphrasing what we talked about a few months ago, Several people who worked for the EPA were raising concerns about the PolyMet mine and some of their water quality issues to the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, but the MPCA was telling the EPA, well, don't actually document these controls or these concerns that we have on paper or through emails or through anything like that. We'll just 
We'll just say that uh, we talked with you guys about this on the phone, and that'll be good enough from that. And basically, yeah, that's very much outside the norm in terms of how this is actually supposed to go when the EPA is contacting and talking to different state control agencies. They basically defined it as being departed from typical typical procedures in addressing the North Met permit. So basically, instead of going through and actually documenting some of these concerns that administrators at the EPA had about the polymet mine, instead, you know, the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency was basically saying, uh, we'll just say that we orally heard some concerns from you guys through phone calls and not actually write any of this down and not document it whatsoever. So obviously that's a huge issue as well. And then we of course also have the fact that Polymet is owned by Glencore. Keep in mind Polymet is not some locally owned Minnesota company. They're owned by this multinational corporation called Glencore which by the way has a very checkered past when it comes to dealing with mining and environmental disasters over the past few years and decades. So Overall, this whole polymet issue is a thousand pounds of ugly. Obviously, we just had this court ruling today, which fortunately did go against polymet, where basically they said that the Minnesota DNR erred by not having contested case hearings, which I, I'm interpreting it as meaning as basically that they did not include any input from environmental groups that were having concerns about the polymet mine. So that's one area of some ugliness that we've had with the polymet mine. Second area of ugliness, going back to this water quality permit, where basically the MPCA was not really doing anything with concerns that were being raised by the EPA. That's a second pound of uh, ugly in this situation. Then, of course, the third thing, the very checker past of Glencore, who, again, has had several environmental disasters over the past few years and decades. And, by the way, they've also had some uh, very not-so-good executives as well, including their founder, Mark Rich, who was actually indicted for tax evasion and dodged sanctions on apartheid in South Africa and elsewhere to basically cut oil deals. And by the way, he was actually pardoned in 2001 by, of all people, Bill Clinton. So go figure there. And guess who the actual CEO of Glencore is right now? Again, Polymet is a subsidiary of Glencore. Want to know who the CEO of Glencore is? Tony Hayward. Do you remember who Tony Hayward is? He's the disgraced former CEO of BP who is in charge at the time of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill disaster in the Gulf of Mexico way back in 2010. So this guy, Tony Hayward, who used to be the head of BP, is now actually the head of Glencore. Hayward was also forced to resign back in 2010 when he lied on record saying only a relatively tiny amount of oil was spewing into the very big ocean. Overall, it was, what, 4.9 million barrels of oil that actually ended up spilling into the ocean and covered an area the size of Oklahoma. So at least we are somewhat getting some good news there in terms of what's happening with Polymet because no matter what your thoughts are on the jobs, and I'm sure there are going to be a few jobs created up there, there is still a lot of ugliness that is still occurring with the Polymet mine. Again, going back to the fact that it's owned by Glencore, who has a very checkered history when it comes to environmental disasters, and then the fact that Tony Hayward is actually the head of the company, and also the fact that on some of these permits that have been issued to Polymet, Glencore's name isn't even on them, which is a huge deal because technically if we were to have some sort of spill or environmental disaster in northern Minnesota, well, guess what would probably happen? Polymet will go out of business and say, well, we can't pay the fines. We're, we went out of business, even though they're actually owned by Glencore and Glencore should actually be paying for any environmental cleanups. In fact, I would actually be somewhat okay with a polymet mine. Not all the way. You'd still have to sell me a little bit more on that. If you actually did have a guarantee from the parent company Glencore that they would pay for any cleanups in the event of an environmental disaster. But so far, uh, yeah, that hasn't exactly happened. And then, of course, we have the problems with the permitting process as well, which I still can't get over what happened with the <laughs> water permitting issues where basically the MPCA said, oh, we're not really going to do anything with these concerns that were raised by the EPA. We're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. If you want to chime in at all with uh, what happened with Polymet today and their court ruling. Again, that was the Minnesota State Court of Appeals that reversed two permits issued by the DNR to Polymet. 
they're at least now going to have contested hearings. So those permits still could be reissued. So the fight definitely not over yet when it comes to the polymet mine in northern Minnesota. We're going to take an early break and come on back. And I want to talk about Pete Buttigieg because he held a rally last night and was actually interrupted by people with Black Lives Matter. And I'm a little disappointed with how the crowd that was at the Pete Buttigieg rally reacted to the Black Lives Matters protesters. We're going to talk about that and more coming up next. are coming. Where is everyone? Ben Franklin dispatched an evacuation warning on Facebook. Didn't you get it? Hi, I'm Chad Hobart with Social Media MN. If your marketing is behind the times, contact us today online at socialmediamn.com or at 763-244-4058. We can help your business message get dispatched and selected on social media and Google search. We offer uncomplicated, results-driven, and affordable Internet marketing solutions for businesses of all sizes. SocialMediaMN.com or 763-244-4058. I'm Dr. Thomas Adams, President and CEO of Better Futures Minnesota. We're a social enterprise dedicated to rebuilding lives through housing, workforce development, health and family engagement, and coaching supports that give men the skills and relationships they need to succeed. Better Futures Minnesota engages men who had a history of incarceration, homelessness, poverty, untreated mental and physical health challenges to help them achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our enterprise. Hey, it's Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, and muckraking host of the Bradcast. Heard weeknights right here on AM 950. Whether it's photo ID restrictions, bad voting machines, or plain old voter intimidation, we will expose all of the latest schemes, frauds, and much more. Right here on the Bradcast with me, Brad Friedman. And me, Desi Doyen. Whatever. Every weeknight at 7 p.m. on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Back in January 2018, the tax laws changed. You probably won't get a tax deduction for donating your vehicle to Auto Technical or any nonprofit. And it's going to put us out of business. Over the past 30 years, our charitable mission has been reconditioning vehicles for thousands of families. Many vehicles are reconditioned and sold to the public. We are self-supporting. But donations have dropped by more than 80%. We can hold on until November, December. But without your help, we'll be forced to close the doors. The Tubman Shelter Workforce Training Center will no longer be able to refer clients to us for free cars. Please, please help us. Call me if you have a vehicle to donate. Richard at autotech.org, 612-919-5526. 612-919-5526. Autotechnical.org. Welcome back, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Brett, broadcasting on a Monday afternoon. So last night, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who is one of the Democratic frontrunners for the presidency and trying to get the Democratic nomination, held a rally in Iowa. And in the middle of that rally, he was actually interrupted by several Black Lives Matters protesters. And if you remember back to the 2015-2016 election cycle, Bernie Sanders kind of ran into this same issue as well, where he was interrupted a number of times by Black Lives Matters protesters. Now, the first couple times Bernie was interrupted back in 2015 and 2016, he was kind of caught off guard by some of the protesters. But I think he got better at it as the campaign went on and actually did open up a dialogue with several of the protesters and even actually let them have the microphone. So Mayor Pete, who, of course, is running now in 2020, has been experiencing the same thing Bernie kind of ran into back in 2016. He, in fact, he had another encounter actually last week in Los Angeles, but the encounter that 
happened last night in Iowa actually did draw a little bit more media attention. And it's not necessarily for the reaction from Mayor Pete, who, by the way, I'm kind of intrigued by. I like some of his stances in terms of actually reforming the courts, among other issues. But, by the way, still not endorsing anybody for president, by the way, just throwing that out there. But I was a little more disappointed in the reaction from some of his supporters when the Black Lives Matters protesters actually interrupted the rally. So we're actually going to play right now about a minute of audio from this rally. The first 40 seconds or so is the initial kind of confrontation. And then towards the end, you're going to see when things die down and the protesters are being escorted out. We're going to have some audio from that as well. So it's all in one audio file that we're going to play back. But it's basically two different instances uh, at this rally where Pete Buttigieg was interrupted. Now, listen carefully to the crowd and how they actually respond when... Mayor Pete is interrupted because to me it's very disappointing and well I'll just play the audio then we'll talk more about it you can have your own reactions as well but here again is the audio can we agree that we can talk about this respectfully I'm in trouble because you're saying information is not So as we listen back to that audio, if I didn't know that was Mayor Pete Buttigieg, who was actually the presidential candidate that was speaking on the stage, I'm kind of sorry to say this, but I actually would not be able to tell if that were a rally for a Democratic presidential candidate or if that were actually a Donald Trump rally. Because as you may have heard during that audio, his supporters were basically chanting USA, USA, USA to drown out the Black Lives Matter people who were trying to interrupt the Pete Buttigieg rally. And to me, I have a real problem whenever we hear this USA, USA, USA chant at political rallies, especially when you're using it to try to drown out someone who you politically disagree with. And it's for a, a number of issues. Well, A, it kind of just shows blind patriotism. You're just chanting USA, USA. USA, USA, without actually really knowing what that means or why you're chanting USA, USA, USA. And it also demeans the people who politically disagree with you by chanting USA repeatedly to drown out someone who disagrees with you. To me, you're almost in fearing that those people are actually anti-American, which is why I have a real problem. And I don't care, again, if that happens at a Trump rally or like what happened last night, a Pete Buttigieg rally. If you're chanting USA, I, I have a real problem with that because you're basically telling people who disagree with you, well, you're not patriotic. We're more patriotic than you. And once you start going down that route, that really doesn't take you to a very good place. But there's also some other issues to unpack as well. And that, of course, is a question a lot of people had about this last night when Mayor Pete was interrupted by Black Lives Matter. And that, of course, is whether Black Lives Matter should have interrupted him in the first place. And I think that question actually kind of misses the entire point. Because I think the bigger question is not whether they should have interrupted Pete Buttigieg or really any politician whatsoever. The bigger question to ask is, why were they actually there protesting? I think that is the question that really should be asked because for a lot of time, and these protesters were even talking about how they've tried to meet with Mayor Pete in the past and they've had no luck doing so. That was kind of the same argument they also made about Bernie Sanders back in 2016. So if you basically have no other recourse to have a politician pay attention to you, for lack of a better way of putting it, or acknowledge your issues that you have, well, maybe interrupting them is actually the best way to do it. And by the way, I'm also not opposed to actually interrupting politicians because, to be honest, you can actually kind of get them to make off-the-cuff remarks and actually get them not to have pre-rehearsed responses because if 
someone like Pete or another politician were to actually have a a sit-down conversation with protesters or other activists, well, you're probably going to get very typical political answers. You're not going to, you're going to get very well-rehearsed answers. You're not going to get those kind of off-the-cuff answers where you might actually hear what they feel about a certain issue. So have a couple issues with that as well when we're asking, well, should they have interrupted a politician? I think that misses the point because I think you should be asking, why were they there in the first place? Why were they interrupted? And I think it's because they can't get their voices heard, and I'm not necessarily opposed to that. And then there's also this aspect as well when it comes to uh, Mayor Pete being uh, interrupted by them and not trying to qualm the crowd from the USA chant. Just if you put entirely the the moral aspect behind it. How about this? Politically, it's not a smart move for him really either because he actually is building a lot of momentum in Iowa and New Hampshire and very well could win both of those states. But of course, to continue that momentum, he actually still has to win a state like South Carolina where you do have a high percentage of minority voters. And if he had handled that situation better, that probably actually could have helped him in terms of trying to get more black voters supporting him. Because again, if he actually were to win states like Iowa and New Hampshire, that could create a lot of momentum for him. But he still has some issues when it comes to trying to get people of color to vote for him. So overall, I think he could have handled that situation better. And I also still want to bring up that, yeah, asking whether they should have interrupted Mayor Pete is not the right question. It's more, why are they there? Because I think it is too simplistic just to basically say that, oh, they're only seeking attention. Because I, I think that's not quite getting quite deep enough as to why so often we hear politicians actually getting interrupted by protesters. So, again, Mayor Pete, it's not to be a anti-Mayor Pete rant that I'm doing right now. I actually like some of his positions, especially when it comes to government reform and especially court reform. But we still do sometimes do need to hold Democrats accountable because I would have this exact same reaction if this happened at a Donald Trump rally or really any rally for any politician whatsoever. We're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Before we head to break, let's go to Randy in St. Cloud. Hi there, Randy. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for taking my call. On on this issue uh, you brought up that um, the same thing happened at a, a Bernie Sanders, Sanders rally? Yeah, a few times back in 2015 and 16. Right, and that's when Black Lives Matter was first starting, mm-hmm. and they were interrupting a lot of people's rallies because nobody wanted to talk about Black Lives Matter at that time. And if you remember, watch the tape, what did Bernie do when they interrupted him? Yeah, he got much better at it. He actually let them have the microphone. And by the way, I think that's the reason why they actually protested his rallies is that those were some of the only times they could actually get acknowledged right. by a candidate. Exactly. And what did what did uh, the much-heralded uh, uh, Miss Clinton do when she was interrupted? She was extremely dismissive, mm-hmm. and the woman who was interrupting was just summarily taken out of the area. So that's a difference. And the reason specifically why they're interrupting uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg, if you look into it, there's been some good reporting on the way he has handled being the mayor of South Bend. And the first thing he did was dismiss uh, the black police chief of South Bend, the first black police chief. And then he got so much protest, he went, okay, okay, I'm not going to dismiss him, I'm going to demote him, I'm going to take him out of the police chief's uh, seat and put him at a lesser position. Okay, and then look into why. Mm-hmm. So you got to look into this stuff. Um, and Just one other thing, if I could, you brought up the polymet thing. Um, please tell me one time that the parent company has ever operated a mine that didn't create a, a uh, environmental disaster and then also tell me name me one time that they actually cleaned up the disaster they created yeah exactly and that's the key part right there because obviously they have not had a whole lot of success not having environmental disasters but that's the they bigger issue right there when... they haven't had one and they've never paid the amount it takes to clean it up. Because they're, they're doing... still disasters. 
Yeah, because they're doing exactly what they're doing with Polymet. They're setting up some subsidiary company that can, oh, guess what? We're going to go bankrupt as soon as there's an environmental disaster. And, oh, local government, you're on the hook because Glencore's name, well, we have nothing to do with Polymet anymore. They don't exist. It won't cost that much to clean up uh, the St. Louis River and possibly Lake Superior. Mm-hmm. We can clean those up, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's not a problem. And we'll be paying for it all ourselves. And by the way, uh, who couldn't trust a company now headed by Tony Hayward? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Anyway. I can't believe that guy still has another job. Hey, thanks for the call there, Randy. I do appreciate it. We'll chat with you coming up another day. And uh, going back to Randy, what he was saying also about Pete Buttigieg, uh, yeah, the more he actually rises in the polls, and especially if he does actually get wins in Iowa or New Hampshire, you're definitely going to see that uh, record in May in South Bend highlighted even more than it kind of already has kind of the price when you become a front runner is that yeah you do get your record thoroughly thoroughly vetted and he does have a checkered past certainly on some issues hey by the way we also do have a caller who chimed in and think that the crowd was actually chanting Buttigieg and not USA I don't know to me it sounded more like USA it was kind of tough to hear it at least when I was going through specifically what they were saying but to me it sounded more like USA uh, so hopefully they were actually chanting Buttigieg that would make me feel a whole lot better about his supporters I feel like it'd make me feel better but not that much better because they're yeah, still kind of exactly, drowning out. Still. It's like well at least you're not pretending that black Americans aren't you, they're not patriotic, they're not part mm-hmm. of USA, but you're basically saying, well, the Buttigieg campaign doesn't care about you, so that's not much better in my opinion. Yeah, no, I'm with you as well. Yeah, it's maybe one level better, but still obviously not the best response. And how do you actually respond to that situation? Because I totally get that you don't want to have your political rally completely hijacked by another group. But then you also do have to wonder, why are they actually there in the first place whatsoever? And then you also hear the argument, too, as well, saying, well, people came to hear Mayor Pete speak. They didn't come to hear Black Lives Matter. Well, that's the exact reason why Black Lives Matter is there, to get people to to expose people to different viewpoints that they probably wouldn't be exposed to otherwise. That's what I think a big reason why is why they actually do go and interrupt these types of rallies, uh, among other things. So, yeah, I think the whole idea of asking uh, should they have interrupted or not kind of misses the point entirely because I think you actually should dig a little bit deeper and find out why they are actually there, as I've said many times thus far. And we actually had a second caller, too, who was bringing up that point, and I haven't dug into this enough myself personally, but he was mentioning that I guess as mayor, Pete hadn't done like there were he had he wasn't connecting very well with the black community. Again, I didn't do enough research. I'm not sure exactly what he did, but the caller mentioned that like they're upset with him from his policies as mayor, and Mm -hmm. so that's part of the reason why they are protesting him. Yeah, that's certainly part of it as well. Yeah, he does definitely have uh, not so good a past in terms of uh, what he's done in in the mayor of South Bend when it comes to uh, race relations. Again, something, yeah, like you, Sam, I haven't done a ton of research into this. I've just kind of gone by what's reported. But, yeah, if he does continue to rise in the polls or does have early success, those questions are going to be continually asked fair or not, by the other candidates and probably the media in general. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. All right, coming up next, we are going to be talking about this uh, new amendment that's being proposed by a couple of uh, prominent Minnesotans that would change the way public schools function and whether they would actually lead to charter schools and uh, vouchers for private schools. And, well, why, at least in my view, that's extremely problematic. We'll chat about that and more coming up next. Time that her memories will fade Cause he's racing and pacing and plotting the course He's fighting and fighting and riding on his horse The sun has gone down Welcome to 2020 Talks Where we track the 2020 election process From the studios of KHOI in the heart of Iowa At the end of, you know, the end days of a campaign And I'm sure this is true to some extent for everyone Maybe not for everyone actually But certainly for me, there's a lot of woulda, shoulda, coulda Um, This is certainly nothing I've ever done before. Author Marion Williamson dropped out of the race for the Democratic primary on Friday after giving her very last interview as a presidential candidate to 2020 Talks. I have, if anything, even greater respect and admiration for the American people than I ever have before. 
the older I get, the more profound it is, I realize, the Jeffersonian concept that the only safe place for the repository of power is in the hands of the average citizen. She finished her campaign with a couple events in New Hampshire this weekend, leaving 13 Democrats still in the race. With tomorrow night's Democratic debate in Des Moines and the First of the Nation caucuses three weeks away, there have been a lot of travelers to the Hawkeye State lately, including candidates of both parties, their surrogates, and young activists. Students with Jewish Voice for Peace Action concluded a bus tour they called the Palestinian Freedom 2020 bus this weekend, and they showed up before several campaign events to speak about candidates' records and ask the candidates and their representatives to support conditioning aid to Israel on justice for Palestinians. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Pete Buttigieg are the only ones who've suggested they'd consider conditions. But Sanders, out of the three, has been the most forthright about equality for Palestinians, says JVP Action's Beth Miller. Israel is already carrying out a de facto annexation of the West Bank, and there are severe human rights violations happening every day against Palestinians, and we need to end military funding now. Mo Al-Sherbini, president of American University's chapter of Students for Justice in Palestine, says the candidates who won't consider conditioning aid to Israel are why he joined the group in Iowa to push them on it. As an Egyptian-Palestinian, my family had to deal with a lot of erasure of our Palestinian identity when my family fled from Palestine in 1948. Therefore, it's been really hard for me to claim that identity, and I have been trying to do that. And the best way for me to do that, I think, at least, is um, kind of take part in that tradition of resistance that Palestinians have been known for for so long, since 1920 and since even before then. Ben Beanstalk, student at Brown University, has a blunt take on what brought him to Iowa with JVP Action. As a Jew, I've seen the way that the Israeli government and the Israeli military and the United States in its support for the Israeli military and government uses me and, and my Jewish peers as an excuse for the actions that they do, that they, they, they claim to conduct. From Pacifica Network and Public News Service, I'm Lily Bulky. Thanks for listening at PacificaNetwork.org and PublicNewsService.org. Next time on Philosophy Talk, comedy and the culture wars. Comedy these days can get pretty offensive, especially when it comes to race, gender, and religion. I agree. And that's why comedy like that should be shunned, boycotted, maybe even banned. No way. Laughing at each other can actually help us to live together. Is that some kind of joke? Comedy and the culture wars. Next time on Philosophy Talk. Philosophy Talk. Every Sunday at 8 a.m. and again at 2 p.m. on AM 950. Hi, I'm Frank Brown, owner of the only minority-owned union print shop in Minnesota. Do you work with political campaigns? Yes, we have years of experience helping campaigns. Do you print remit envelopes for political campaigns? Yes, we print everything. I know you do mailers, but do you also mail them out? Yes, we do mail them out. We print everything. Choose the only minority-owned union print shop in Minnesota for all your political campaign needs. Learn more at mpuptown.com. Miniman Press Uptown. We print everything. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. AM 950 weather. I'm Patrick Lilly. A snow overnight with a temperature around 33. Then tomorrow, decreasing clouds. Temperatures around 19. And tomorrow night, mostly cloudy with a low around 13. Cafe Latte is your eat local Minnesota.com restaurant of the week. Gourmet cafeteria with an ever-changing selection of award-winning salads, sandwiches, and soup. And a large variety of box lunch items ranging from sandwiches to truffle plates on Victoria and Grand and St. Paul. Details at eatlocalminnesota.com. Back on the 4 o'clock show, it's Brett on a Monday afternoon. So, want to switch gears now and go back to some Minnesota political issues. And you may have seen this in the news over the past week or so. And that is that Alan Page and Neil Kashkari, who is the president of the Federal Reserve Bank in Minneapolis are trying to get a constitutional amendment put through in Minnesota, which would basically change the language around public education in the state. Now, the reason I'm talking about this is that the Star Tribune followed up on that story today with uh, 
an editorial that was written by Andy Brem, who used to be the press secretary for U.S. Senator Norm Coleman. And the headline is, well, a real doozy right here. Here it is. If if the constitutional amendment would bring on school vouchers, how soon can we pass it? (laughs) So there's a number of issues right there that we're going to talk about in terms of uh, why school vouchers are problematic. But first, let's go back and talk about this language of this proposed amendment that Alan Page and Neil Kashkari are proposing. So what's often missed sometimes in the reporting, and this is kind of an indictment on the local media, they don't often print what actually is being changed. They don't actually print what's currently written in the Constitution versus what the proposal from Alan Page and Neil Kashkari actually would switch it to. So I'll go ahead and actually read that for that you. That always bugs me. I always exactly. have to then go back and look up, like, well, what was it before? Why don't you tell me? Yeah, exactly, because... Uh, Neil Kashkari and Alan Page, I mean, it seems like their heart is in the right place on this, and it seems like this amendment they're proposing is actually well-intentioned, but there are some issues that Denise Tech of the uh, Education Minnesota has with this proposed amendment. But as you bring up, Sam, oftentimes when you read about this in the news, they don't actually print the stupid amendments on there to actually what we've been changing it to. So let's actually go through and... Because they think we all have it. All yeah, we all have it memorized, memorized. And I think by paraphrasing it, yeah, we'll actually figure out uh, which side we should support. So, so let's go ahead and read what the current language actually states. So again, this is what the Constitution of Minnesota currently says regarding public schools. Uniform system of public schools. The stability of a Republican form of government depending mainly upon the intelligence of the people. It is the duty of the legislature to establish a general uniform system of public schools. The legislature shall make such provisions by taxation or otherwise as will secure a thorough and efficient system of public schools throughout the state. So basically the part to focus on is general uniform system of public schools. So that's the current language. Now let's go ahead and talk about this proposed language from Alan Page and Neil Kashkari. Here is their language that they would like to switch the Minnesota Constitution to regarding public schools. Equal right to quality public education. All children have a fundamental right to a quality public education that fully prepares them with the skills necessary for participation in the economy, our democracy, and society as measured against uniform achievement standards set forth by the state. It is the paramount duty of the state to ensure quality public schools that fulfill this fundamental right. So one of the arguments that the Minnesota Teachers Union, Education Minnesota, has been making against this amendment is that it could pave the way for taxpayer-funded vouchers for private schools and parochial schools, which, of course, they've long opposed. But there is another aspect as well. Well, let's actually address that first. If you want to chime in on this, by the way, feel free at 952-946-6205. I'm having trouble when I'm reading through this proposed language actually finding the part where it could possibly pave the way for taxpayer-funded vouchers for private schools. That language is not directly in the amendment, though. I could see how it could maybe lead there, which we'll get to in just a second. So what the proposal actually would do as well, and this is actually from the words of Neil Kashkari, one of the authors of this amendment, is that it would give children the fundamental right to have a quality publication, public education rather, and if leaders fail to provide that, Page and Kashkari said parents and children would have legal recourse to challenge them. And that's where I think I start to have a little bit of an issue and can maybe see where that could lead to vouchers because... Let's say you're at a public school that is not performing very well. Then under this proposal, you could sue your school district to get into a better school. And I guess by kind of using the slippery slope argument, you could say, well, if your public school is failing, then we should give you a voucher to attend a school that's not failing, whether that be another public school or a private or a parochial school. So I'm thinking it's probably more the slippery slope argument that Denise Specht is actually making because, again, directly written into that proposed amendment, there really is nothing in there about vouchers for private schools. But there is an overall big problem I have with the idea that you can actually legally challenge your public schools if they're failing you. That basically only favors people who can afford 
to hire attorneys to actually challenge your public schools because the people it actually intends to help, which are usually poor students who come from minority communities, typically in inner cities, although some rural areas as well, guess what? Their parents probably aren't going to have the funds to actually hire an attorney to go up against a school district and actually successfully school the, sue a school district to get into a better school system, again, whether that's a private or a parochial school or another public school. So that's problem number one right there, because the only people who are actually going to be able to afford to sue a failing public school are generally only going to be kids who come from wealthy families. Now, of course, you're probably going to hear some people argue that, oh, well, some nonprofits might actually help some students. Well, key part would be only some students, probably very few. The vast majority of students who are at so-called failing public schools are not going to have the legal means, and their parents certainly won't either, to be able to challenge a school district to try to get into another school. Again, whether that's a private or a public school. So that's a problem I have with that right there. And again, that actually was admitted to by Neil Kashkari and Alan Page. They were actually saying that aspect right there, that students and their parents would be able to sue school districts that was not inferred by education minnesota but let's move on now and actually talk about educational vouchers which i have a huge problem with being that uh, for a number of years i had worked with students and kids who actually have special needs i coached an adapted sports program for a number of years and anytime you bring up vouchers to me it of course kind of makes my blood boil for uh, a number of reasons so let's talk about this editorial that was written in the star tribune again it was written by andy brem who used to be the press secretary from norm coleman back when he was in the senate Again, I love the headline of this more in a way that I actually kind of hate it. If constitutional amendment would bring on school vouchers, how soon can we pass it? And one of the sentences he throws in there is that certainly abandoning our public schools is not the correct course, but forcing them to compete with private institutions or shutter their doors is only fair to the families they are asked to serve. Competition and choice will drive excellence in education, just as it does in the private sector. And stop right there. Comparing public schools and private schools is complete apples to oranges. Because if you're a private school, guess what? You get to pick and choose your students. If you're a public school, you do not get to pick and choose your students for the most part. Well, you can kick out a student, but it usually takes some pretty extreme circumstances. It's a lot easier to do if you're a private school. So that's problem number one right there. You can actually have competition between public and private schools unless you actually were to force private schools to admit every student that applies to attend their schools. And even if you were to put in some sort of provision that says that, you would still, of course, have a ton of other problems in terms of how to actually pay for that student's tuition. So in this editorial, Brem goes on to cite the case of Hope Academy in Minneapolis, which is a private faith-based school located in a destitute neighborhood in South Minneapolis. And he basically talks about how even though they do have several low-income students that attend these schools, they actually are performing above state averages for other minority students. So, yeah, that actually very well might be true. And by the way, good for Hope Academy. This is not by no means me saying, oh, let's go ahead and ban private schools because, hey, if you have the money or if you have a scholarship to attend a private school and it's going to get you a good education, by all means, go for it and do it. But the reason why we still need to fund public schools and not have vouchers is that the difference between public and private schools is that everyone has access to public schools. The key part being access to public schools. When it comes to private schools, it's not a guarantee that you can get into a school of your choice because, again, private schools can pick and choose whichever students they want. And when you give, bring up examples like Hope Academy or other Again, not to pick on Hope Academy. Again, it sounds like it's doing a great job over there, but they should not be getting taxpayer funding to actually fund their educational programs or any other public school beside, or private school besides Hope. When you bring up the, these examples of how well private schools are doing, there's always one question I would like to ask to any person who is saying we should have vouchers for private schools. And it's always this. How many special needs students are attending private schools? or even charter schools. How many of those students even have Asperger's or ADHD 
or dyslexia or autism or have English as a second language or have suffered emotional or physical abuse? How many of those students are LGBTQ? How many are homeless? Because while you may have a few of those students in your private school, for the most part, they're not coming from that type of environment. And when you do have them, and Mm -hmm. to be fair, it's more, I can't speak for all of them, but in a lot of cases, when you do have like special needs students, they're very, very, what's the word? They're like pushed off to the side. They're exactly. Kind mm-hmm. of ostracized from the rest of the school. Like my partner used to work in a school mm-hmm. like this and just hearing the stories about how the people with special needs were just completely the fun, they, all the funding they get for having special needs students doesn't go to the special needs students. It goes to the rest of the school, mm-hmm. but they get a bunch of extra funding. That's the only reason they're bringing in some of these special needs students and then not really caring about their education at all. Yeah, exactly. And if you're in a public school system, you are required to actually fund and care for special needs students, which, by the way, are a whole heck of a lot more expensive to actually fund than people who are part of the mainstream population. That's why it's a complete apples-to-oranges comparison when you bring up funding per public school student versus funding per private school student because obviously in private schools you don't find many special needs students or people who come from low incomes or people who are experiencing uh, other issues such as homelessness or dyslexia or learning disabilities you go on and name it you can go on and on with those but there's another aspect as well because they will bring up as sam as sam talks about they will bring up how we do have some cases of bringing in students who are from lower incomes or students who are minorities or sometimes you'll even run into schools who actually do have almost all minority populations and there's another aspect that often gets missed in this school debate and that is the fact that it does come down to parental involvement because I would be willing to bet that some of these schools that do have almost all minority populations, private schools that is, that have almost all minority populations and almost all low-income populations, they probably still do have parents that are very involved in their students' education. And that's the key part right there because I'm willing to bet they don't take any students who don't have parents who aren't involved in their students' lives. And that's really what it boils down to right there. If you have parents involved in your children's life, you're probably going to have a much better chance of having your child get a successful education, whether it's public or private. And that's what the issue boils down to, because giving a school voucher is not going to solve getting parents involved in children's lives. A voucher is not going to solve homelessness. A voucher is not going to solve helping someone with a learning disability. So I think vouchers overall completely miss the point, and that bigger debate is why parents are not involved in children's lives, and some of that boils down to, well, sometimes just being bad parents or a lot of times experiencing homelessness or a parent that maybe is working three or four jobs to get by. It's a much deeper issue than just saying private schools are better than public schools, and a voucher does nothing to solve some of those issues that parents actually experience. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Take one final break and come back with a couple of phone calls to wrap up the show. What kind of a jackass would let an animal pick their insurance? Did you really think a lizard could save you money on car insurance? Would you let a duck pick your health policy? Insurance can be a zoo, but this is ridiculous. What you really need is an insurance agent that isn't looking out for the insurance companies. You need Cheryl at Array, an independent agent with 30 years experience looking for the best rate possible. Quit monkeying around and call 763-504-3067. That's 763-504-3067 for Cheryl at Array, representing you, not the insurance company. Companies. Victor's 1959 Cafe in South Minneapolis is a locally owned and operated restaurant offering traditional Cuban food. Open for breakfast and lunch daily with dinner Tuesday through Saturday. For night shift workers, Victor's even has both a morning and evening happy hour. And Victor's now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try some delicious authentic Cuban cuisine like ropa vieja and seafood paella. Make your reservation and learn more at victors1959cafe.com. Victor's 1959 Cafe, revolutionary Cuban cooking. we got two of our frequent phone callers on the line right now. Unfortunately, Mark and Gary, I don't have a ton of time for you. So uh, we'll go with Gary in Minneapolis first. Gary, be as quick as you can since we are up against the clock. What's on your mind today? Well, you 
there's one thing about Republicans, Bill. We want to invest in our infrastructure, our light rail, our education. Well, they'll, they'll invest if it's vultures. They call it. But what we want to do is throwing money at it. When they want to grab all their tax money, our money, and call it their money, it's uh, it's uh, their money, my money. They don't even bother to, to want, give a darn about they're the greatest beneficiaries of our public system of the government, and they benefit the best of the system. they got to pay taxes they're obligated to. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks for the call there, Gary. And again, the important part to bring up with public schools is that everyone has access to public schools. If you choose not to take advantage of that public school education and go to private school, more power to you. That's your choice. But you should not be getting taxpayer funds to attend your private school because, again, uh, guess what? Private schools get to pick and choose what students they want. That's kind of what it boils down to as well. All right, one final phone call. we got Mark in Fridley. Hi there, Mark. Hi, quickly. Uh, my kids went to Christian school from kindergarten to high school, and they, they finished up with Concordia Academy, went to Augsburg. And I didn't mind ever subsidizing public education because even though with my taxes I paid for public school, I was happy to do so. But mm-hmm. that's what government and that's what progressives, this is what FDR talked about. He talked about access to health care, access to education, access to housing, access to good jobs. And what CNN did today to Bernie Sanders and try to create this riff artificially between him and Elizabeth Warren, we have to go back, and, and I would like to talk to you about this on the air, but 1940, Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave a speech, and he said this, in the century in which we live, the Democratic Party has received the support of the electric only when the party, with absolute clarity, has been the champion of progressive and liberal policies and principles of the government. Bill Clinton and Joe Biden dismantled access to health care, access to housing, access to education. And let me tell you something about Joe Biden. He was one of the, and Bill Clinton, they were both partners in the creation of the Patriot Act in 1995. It was called the Counterterrorism Bill, drafted by the Clinton administration, Senate Bill 390. And Joe Biden was in charge Got of about it. 20 so, seconds, Mark. Keep so going. Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg, his, he's military intelligence, which is the same thing as CIA. So J- Joe Biden doesn't have a chance. His The judge in his son's uh, case recused himself last week, and all of that's going to be coming up. But uh, when CNN goes after Bernie Sanders, that's how you know he's our man. All right, thanks for the call there, Mark. Again, I'm making no endorsement when it comes to the Democratic primary, but I will say this about the Bernie versus Warren so-called riff. Uh, Eventually, if one of them wants to become the nominee, they're actually going to have to constructively criticize one another. Otherwise, they're going to continue to splinter that vote. All right, that's all the time we have for today. I'll talk to you on tomorrow's program. Thanks for listening.